Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com slash give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. I'm excited to be back up here and talking about this series that we're in, Jesus in the Bottle. Two weeks ago, I talked about time and, and God and, 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 and the long view. I'm basically talking about time and eternity. There's two different places that we sit in. There you go. Oh, there we go. We talked about this. We use this as our lives are, are, are stuck in this period of time. But there's this eternity that's out, that is outside of time. And it's very... Very crucial to understand that uh, when when we look at this subject that we're talking about today, suffering. Now, last week, uh, 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 Austin set a, a nice foundation for me, a great foundation. And I want to dig a bit deeper into this subject because it is already. I lost you already. You're up. Here you go. You don't want me to spit on you, or you just want to? All right, lost my. If I lost my wife, that early, what's going to happen with you guys? <laughs> Goodness. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'm suffering now. I am suffering. Uh, we are in this this topic, and it, it, it is. I, I, we can spend a long time on this, but we're going to take last. As I said last week, nice foundation. I want to jump off that today. Um, here's the bottom line: everyone suffers. No, it's not this big Christian club or phenomenon. Christian, non-Christian, atheist, Jew, uh, Muslim, I don't care who you are, humans suffer. Either you are suffering, you have suffered, or you will suffer. Either you're going into a suffering situation, coming out of a situation, or you're in a nice, peaceful place, and at some point you'll end up there. Everyone suffers. This, I love this quote. We're guaranteed to suffer for one reason. Guaranteed. Sin. Sin. This writer, I think it was a, I don't remember where she was. I found this quote. She says this. Sin infected everything in our world. When sin entered, nothing in the realm of creation escapes its destroying touch. It ushered in general suffering, such as natural disasters, and specific suffering, such as cancer, mental illness, and addiction. When sin entered the world, this is what we got. Not God's best or his plan. The problem with suffering in the church and this, this Jesus in the bottle culture that we live in as a church, where when you, you know, just if you haven't been here, it's this premise that if you rub the bottle, Jesus will give you whatever you want. The problem with this is we have a church that has no theology for suffering. That's good. Among other things. And when you have no theology for it, you have nowhere to stand. And you start grasping. Therefore, there's no hope. And I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. I can't tell you how many Christians that, that I, I talk to in churches that, that people are hopeless. And wait, 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 wait. You don't have to be hopeless. You have hope. See, the American church today is about an instinct and a mile wide. We know a lot about a, a, a lot of different subjects, but there's no depth to it. We can 
repeat what is said from the pulpit on the radio or what we pass by in the Bible. But there's not a depth of understanding. So when the waves come, Jesus said they will. When the tough times come, as we know they will, whatever it might be, if you have nothing to stand on, you go to and fro. And James 1 says this, that a double-minded man will think that he will receive nothing from the Lord. He is unstable in all of his ways. Wow. There's nothing to stand on. So let me give you a little theology on the origins of suffering. We have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to the beginning. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Let's read this real quick. It says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Let me, let me pray. Father, I thank you for this time. God, I thank you for your word. God, this subject of suffering that, God, touches all of us, Lord, I pray that you will give us ears to hear and eyes to see. God, give us a perspective that is theologically sound, but is, is compassionate. It would be as Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. The origin of suffering happens right here in Genesis 3. It's in the beginning. Not much has happened yet. The man and, and the woman grab from the tree because the enemy, as he does with you and I, says this, look, you can be like God. And everything crashes and burns at that point. And, it, and, and, and this suffering enters in because at this point, everything can now deteriorate. At this point, he says he promises, it says that he promises us death. See, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, the world went from perfect, a perfect state to an imperfect state. It went from what God was meant it to be to this, this place that we live in now that is broken, with broken people, with disease. And it says very clearly in Genesis, the Lord cursed the ground and the animals. And he sentenced mankind to death, to die. Everything starting to deteriorate. Look, if you want to talk about suffering, you have to go back and understand what happened, how it started. You can't, you can't get your mind around suffering. You start asking questions like, why me? And how can this be? And all these things. But when you have a, a, a theology to stand on, and it's around this depravity of man brought sin into the world, it brings something for you to grab a hold of and to stand on. Down the line. See, the Jesus in bottle view of suffering is this. It's this. I must have done something wrong. Has anybody ever wrestled with that? When you're going through a, a suffering, this is a false gospel. This is I'm going to rub the bottle and Jesus. 
and says this, I've done something wrong, therefore God must be punishing me. I was just sitting with someone just recently and, and, and in their, their suffering and their pain. It's like, what have I done wrong? What have I done wrong? I'm like, I don't know. You want to confess? I'd like to hear. Come on, that is funny. Come on. You know you want to hear. I, when I look out here, I know secrets, you guys. <laughs> don't tell. There is a confidentiality that I must say. But there's this, this weight that Jesus in the bottle that this false gospel gives that says, I had to do something wrong in order to deserve this. And I'm telling you, across the board, that sin when it entered the world brought this, this deterioration. It's not always that you did something wrong. Right. And that weight and that guilt and that pain of I did something wrong is a lie. And from the pulpit, from the pulpit I've heard it, and I'm, I'm sure on some level I preach, preachers preach this message. If you'd just be better, if you'd just do it right, you wouldn't be going through this. Life would be good. How about this one? You don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith. Literally sat and, 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 and heard pastors tell people that have lost lives, loved ones, and have lost fortunes, or whatever. You just didn't believe. And I go, oh God, what are you saying to these people? There's this lie that goes forth. If you would have just believed harder, if you just had a little more faith, if you had just rubbed the bottle a little more, you would have got what Jesus had for you instead of the suffering that you go through. The third one, which is one of my is it's a favorite, the least favorite. It's God's will. Tell me that it's God's will when you're sitting with a mother who just lost her seven-year-old son to a car accident. And tell me that's the will of God. That's absolute. I can't cuss about a love to my mom sitting right there. I got trouble with that kid. It's absolute trash. It, it is an absolute joke. God's will? It's God's will. Whatever. Most of you guys know. It's God's will that my son is an addict. It's God's will that he struggles. No, it's not God's will. It doesn't go by him without him seeing, without having passed through his hands. He is sovereign. But he didn't will it. And, 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 and if you're under that bondage, of, of that lie from the pit of hell that says, oh, God's will. You don't have a sinner. I love this one. Jesus is different than the Jesus of the Bible. What does that mean? There's these, these preachers, God bless, God have mercy, that, that preach this. I just read an article this week. I don't know if you read it. It's, it's pretty far out there and then all, all over the internet about that the, the pastor who is... Who was, uh, was told that, that God told him that he needed another jet. The next, the next 70 or something. $55 million jet. And God very clearly, he said, oh God, that would be presumptuous. God said, don't worry, I'll take care of it. You just believe me. Something like that craziness. But the, the part of the different Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, is this man said, he said, well, you know, Jesus, if he was living today, he wouldn't be riding around in a donkey. That's for sure. Apparently Jesus is riding the next 70. There's this, this gospel that's going forth that feeds into this narrative on suffering that brings a weight on people, that brings people to a place of their, their 
incapacitated. They're, there's a weight that they can't move and, and they can't function because of all these lies that the enemy places before us on this thing called suffering that each one of us will go through. It's not true. It's not true. And if anyone today is, is sitting under that bondage, I want to see God's freedom in their life. If anybody's had that thought, it must be me. I'm doing something wrong. Now, there's a side of things where, where we make various choices that, that lead to some consequences, but that's not what I'm talking about here. this Jesus in the bottle picture. Everything's turned upside down. And suffering becomes preeminent. It is the suffering. And we know these people, or, or us when we do this, where it's, it, is, it is so just out there that we're suffering and going for all this. And what happens is we go down the scale. What's at the bottom of all this is Jesus. And no one sees Jesus because there's all this suffering that I'm going through. And the false gospel that is, is, is going forth that, that says, if I would just work harder, if I will just do this, then I'll, I'll be better. And it brings hopelessness. And at the very bottom is the Jesus part. You know the part when Mark 8 where he says, hey, if you want to follow me, you got to die. You're going to feel some things, but with you. And this, this false gospel of Jesus in the bottle, it, it, it puts suffering as the preeminent thing that is going on. When the reality is the gospel says this about suffering. My grace is enough for you. If, if, if we could sit in that for a moment. If you're going through something right now, this is where you have to live. This is, this is where I live these days. Uh, literally, not figuratively. This is where I live when I get a call at 2.30 in the morning about my son who's struggling. This is where I live with my wife who cries her eyes out because we have a 20-year-old, 18-year-old son who's struggling. I live in this place, not always, because so many times I jump out and go, God, so many times I jump out and go, okay, what did I do to deserve this? And I jump back in and go, no, 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 God, your grace, your grace is enough. For his power is made perfect, not weakness. Gosh, that is mind-blowing, so countercultural. And then it looks like this. Suffering is this thing that I go through. Suffering is this thing that is across the board everyone goes through. But look, it's a piece of the pie. And when I understand time and eternity in context of suffering, I realize that this suffering isn't forever. There is a time limit on it. And when I realize that this suffering has a time limit on it, and there's an eternity that I walk into, I can step out of this faith that I didn't have before. And when I realize that suffering's a time limit, and I can walk in this faith, and I hear the voice of Jesus, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. I may not heal you. I may not make you rich. I may not do this. I may not do that. You may try to rub the bottle. I don't do what you think you need. But let me tell you this. I'm with you. Then all of a sudden, 
sudden the hope rises up in me. And I stand on this, Jesus. Amen.
Walking in the fullness of his grace. And what I realize about him in the middle of it is it's not about me. And time and time again, God's going, bring some hope. And, and, and someone tells me a story of whatever it might be in their life and what they're going through. I go, okay, I get it. I don't understand it. I'm so sorry. But let me show you who Jesus is. Well, how do you know who Jesus is? Let me tell you a story. How does that work? Other than, than, than people understand that suffering came, but God's grace is sufficient. You hold the hope. Jesus in you. Number five, suffering brings glory. Suffering brings glory. Second Corinthians 4, for this light momentary affliction is preparing, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, but beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. The things that are seen, Transient. Easy for you to say. Transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Suffering brings glory. How can suffering bring glory? I'll tell you how suffering can bring glory. I know she hates it. But look at my mom's life and the pain she's in from the disease that, that she stresses and, and has in her body. And I watch the way she impacts some of your children. And I watch the way that she impacts our family. And I watch the way she impacts perfect strangers. And I see the glory of God on this woman who is broken.
There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated at the throne said, I am making everything new. Time and eternity. Remember what I said? He says this, I will make everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the springs of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake burning sulfur. This is the second death. Jesus says there's no more tears. There's no more pain. The suffering is over. My atheist friend has no counter to that. It's all I got is Jesus and his grace and who he is. I want to finish with this story. The story of a, a, a friend of ours. Her name is Kim. Kim is brilliant, she's got a PhD, brilliant black woman that is just strong and kind and fiery. I love to fight with her. She's just, she's, she's so much smarter than me and I can't get her. And she's been a friend of ours for 20, oh gosh, almost 30 years. Wonderful, wonderful woman with, with three young girls. Gosh, and, 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 and just a few years back, I got a call about Something that was going on in her life. Cancer. Lung cancer. She doesn't smoke. Here's her story. I asked her to write her story. Because in the midst of this suffering, this is what she said. The chemotherapy leading up to the 11th hour of surgery has been experimental and therefore brutal. I didn't think. I've ever been as shocked as I was when the mere tap of water from the shower head was enough to render me bald. Washing thick wasps of hair down the drain, I crouched naked on the cold tile, drawing my knees to my chest, weeping. Would the tumor shrink? Would the cancer metabolize? Would I survive? Was I being punished by God? Did God love me? Was my faith weak? Was I not confessing the word enough? Should I try to go to church even though the chemo had stripped me of my will to do little more than the basics? Hydration, hygiene, and heavy, heavy sleep. There was no shortage of declarations of supernatural healing over my life. And yet the scans proved the necessity of further chemo. And finally, the inevitable surgery that saw the removal of my entire right lung, my right diaphragm, the lining and, and the tissues, all these medical terms. I, I emerged from the anesthesia, already over-medicated with pain meds, whose purpose I failed to appreciate until I waited a little too long to take it. The burn and sting of cut muscles and nerves, the shock of broken ribs, the press of wires holding my breastbone together, uh, merged into a pain whose rage and death defied adequate description. But for all of the trauma and fear, what I remember most about the first days and nights with this radically altered body of mine was something so exquisite, so perfect in capacity, 
cradled the care for me. A moment of recognition more profound to me than when I came to Christ. I long moved past the well-meeting, meeting cards and calls for prayers for my supernatural healing. The ship had already sailed. This was happening. I was passing through these waters. I was surrounded by walls of flames, and as I lay on my back in the middle of the night, alone in the darkened room, I cried. Tears slid past my ears and dampened my pillow. I did not speak, I did not pray. I waited for the pain, failed to relieve just some of the pain. Just then the room was filled with a quiet stillness that was unmistakable presence of God. God was there. The silence was filled with him. The night was the cloak he wrapped around me. My tears still flowed. They were bottles. I can only bring myself to utter words of supplication. For what I don't know, but I whispered to him over and over, please, please, please. The hush of the room became something so familiar to me, instantly recognizable, infinitely dear. The tender-hearted murmurs of a parent who has every intention of cradling his child until dawn. That night, in a number of nights, of difficult nights, that lay ahead, when sleep found me, I found rest in the promises of my father, who assured me, the night will be difficult, but I am with you. I am with you. The only promise that I have is that Thanks for listening to the Pacific Point Podcast. 
If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, you can download the Pacific Point Church app at the App Store or visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you are encouraged today.